Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Giant Pod with me, Andy Rintmore. My guest this week is Alex Veal. Alex is the frontman of Tax the Heat. Me and Alex go back many, many years, back to his uh, one of his earliest bands, The Operation. We talk about their rise. We talk about their m- navigations through the music industry of the early 2000s and how things have changed since then. We talk about the great industry crash of 2008. We talk about them being flown out by various industry heads to, uh, to LA and various other places around the world for chats and lunches. And we talk about the various characters they met along the way and the grind, really, the grind of being in a band who's hungry and wanting to make it. We talk about a little solo career uh, after that which found success but he didn't find any success in it for himself so we talk about the formation of tax the heat who are on nuclear blast records we talk about them opening up for aerosmith we talk about their third album we talk about the genesis throughout their musical story we talk about how the pandemic has affected the way that they write and, and some of the freedoms that that has given them as well we talk about some of his rare amps that might have belonged to a certain rock star. We talk about some of his guitars that may have also belonged to a certain rock star. It's a great conversation. As I said, me and Alex have gone back for many, many years. This is typical of the kind of conversation we normally have. And uh, I thought it was about time that you guys got to listen in on it. So uh, here it is. This is Alex Veal from The Operation and Tax The Heat. Enjoy. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here, mate. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised I haven't had you on already. Well, me too. Given that you just live down the road. I and know, it's rude, really. I can text you. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about it for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when is when's the baby due? End of October. Are you excited? Yeah. Are you scared? I mean, you've gone through this once already. Yeah, yeah. You? Um, gone just, through this <laughs> we're, we're still in it mate. you've experienced we're in, we're in the war zone still <laughs> uh yeah excited yeah excited completely different to the first time around really right because the first time is the unknown mm-hmm. this isn't so much the unknown so you right. don't really get too much time to think about what's about to happen it's just going to happen and it's yeah. fine like you've got everything it's all good you've resigned yourself to the fu- what the future holds now yeah Okay. Yeah, we're excited though. Happy to be a four. Yeah. We've been a power trio for a couple of years. We were doing good. We're ready to bring in that fourth member. It didn't work too well for like Ash right. in that reference, but hopefully it will for us. <laughs> so you're bringing in Pat Smear basically yeah, to, to, yeah. to, well, to, hey, to thicken out the sound, right? Yeah, go for that. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of power trios, there's something about bands that are trios that just have like an inherent sort of extra oomph don't you think there's mm. uh, there's, there's so many bands that are tri- like nirvana yeah just absolutely force of nature i i love a power trio some Who's, of my some of my favorite bands hit me well i mean if i i think if i had to pick one yeah i actually think i'd probably say the police yes i love the police yeah um rush yeah um yeah, they're probably my two faves. But I mean, there's so many. I was watching, um, so it was Neil Peart's birthday. Oh, yeah, I, I think, saw that. The other day. And Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers did a drum channel tribute 
thing. It was basically him talking about his memories of of Neil Peart and how he would like listen to 2112 when he was in his sophomore year at high school or something and how he'd make a poor man's perk kit yeah. and everything. And then he, in, over the years, he got to know him and everything. And um, he said the last time they saw Rush was with Taylor Hawkins, Stuart Copeland, some other geezer was there. I can't remember his name. And um, and Chad Smith was there. And uh, and Stuart Copeland said, um, oh, this was at Neil Perk's funeral. So it was the last time Rush ever played. And then Stuart Copeland was at the funeral and he said, I can't tell you the amount of times people come over to me and go, you're my second favorite drummer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you would, yeah, you would take that. <coughs> yeah, for you would sure. take that. Mm. The guy was amazing. Mm. And an amazing lyricist as well. Yeah. Really, really great. I, I need to read his, um, he wrote, when his wife died, he disappeared, right. didn't he? Yeah. On his bike for, I don't know how long it was, a year or two years? It was about it? a year. And, and the, didn't speak to his bandmates, just went off grid, didn't he? Yeah. And he, and he wrote a book about... Yeah, yeah, Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider, yeah. Yeah, it was because uh, I think at that point people didn't think he was going to come back and and play. Um, but yeah, what what a force, really. Yeah, wild. Uh, so tell me about Tax the Heat. Tell me about the start of Tax the Heat because Tax the Heat was born out of the ashes of the operation, who I still listen to. Good man. Um, <clears throat> and is there operation news you can tell me about? Uh, no. <laughs> no, Um just yeah go into the operation first that i mean the operation has kind of found a, a weird new life in in a strange way i don't even know if i've told you about this but things so, i know so it's uh, i kind of started by revisiting some old operation uh material mm. that i had on a hard drive and um bringing it back to speed but up to speed retracking some guitars and it was sounding pretty good um and i was approached by a friend of mine called chris goulstone who um he is a library musician so production right. music and he's he's really successful in that world like he gets music played in all sorts of weird and wonderful places um and he approached me about doing some stuff and i was saying well i've got all this stuff on a on a hard drive that's not doing anything it's like it's literally just stagnant i mean people who saw the operation like who, who've got those memories and listen like yourself listen to the music that's great but there's all sorts of stuff that never came out um maybe i'll have a look at sending you some of that stuff so i did and the weird thing with library music is you kind of think that that term that is kind of it's like a disposable thing it feels like it yeah so, so tell i think i know what library music is but possibly people listening might not know sure yeah it's a um so say it could be in anything say you've got a a tv program and you need music for a specific scene and you've got maybe you have a composer who's doing some of the music for it but you're after like a you've literally got those tag words in it like uh fast aggressive that's your kind of search and there's there's libraries that you can go to to find music that you can buy the license for to use in your production right could be a commercial could be a youtuber like it's endless if you need music for something you often use uh library music and you sort of i I often thought of it as being this like it's just it's different to being in a band but actually it's kind of not like it still functions completely about it should it has to be good i mean a lot of the time there'll be music used this this not 
like I guess it's kind of filler, but right. it's sort of generic. In and... what I've seen of a short time of it, it has to be good, right? To be used, and the operation has started being used in all kinds of stuff. Like it gets used in, um, it's in Home and Away, <laughs> way. yeah, all the time, <laughs> all the time. And is this with with vocals on? Yeah. Right, so yeah. it's not like you've gone, oh, we'll cut the vocals off, take no. the vocal track off that and just you use can, the groove here. You can choose to do that. That's right. the thing. If you want to, like yeah. you can use bits and pieces of the song. It's it, That's the hard thing as an artist because those songs come from a much deeper place. Like right. you, when you're writing them, you're kind of in that world. But as soon as you hand it over you have to let go of that a little bit because right. people can cut it up. They could use it in the backing to, to something or other. You don't know what it's going to be used for. Right. Um, okay. But that's kind of the fun with it as well. Yeah. So the operations found a new lease of life there. Mm. Um, and it's continuing to be used. Um, but in terms of us, uh, anything new, I think we'd like to do another gig sometime. Just, I think it will be a, it'll be like that for us. I think we'll, it'll, we'd like to celebrate it. It was a big part of our lives. It really gave us a footing to do all sorts of stuff. And I think that's probably what it will be from now. Every now and then we'll do a show. So, so next time I see you guys, cause I saw your reunion show. Yeah. Um, when was that? Two years ago now? Two years. Crazy. Yeah. It's gone fast. That's crazy. That, that was two I years mean, ago. It, knowing what the operation was like and the luck we had, I cannot believe that our reunion show missed the pandemic. Right. Like, yeah. I almost feel like that would have been the catalyst for the pandemic. <laughs> the operation have decided to reform. The world goes to shit. Yeah. <laughs> so on the next show that you do, are you going to stand there and go, this one's in the dust. This was on Home Away. <laughs> yeah. Home and Away. <laughs> yeah, I think it will. You may remember this from the scene in Home and Away <laughs> where Brad breaks his surfboard. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. The, the strange thing is, like I say, it's like so much of it was left over. Right. Like the, the stuff that got picked up straight away, we recorded on a four track in our drummer's uh, bedroom right and i just had like a which, stereo which drummer ollie. ollie yeah and i just had a, a stereo pair of microphones picking up the kit yeah uh, doing his take and just went back through it and just found every kind of hit and found like the tom hits and put in tom samples and built so you a, rebuilt it real so it's his performance but right. rebuilt it a little bit but it was cool to hear it because it would you, it would have never you never would have done it you wouldn't have been able to do that 10 years ago and yeah. they were good songs they, ollie is a great were, drummer he is so what songs are being used at the moment are they ones that they ones that were on the cutting room floor yeah so it's not it's not like in the dust or no um, no i think i think like i think that stuff will be because right. again from my point of view it's a shame if those songs don't do anything and yeah. i feel like well, you never know. Like I say, that's the beauty of it. You never know. And hey, like a song could end up being used on like a Netflix show, could become like a, a theme tune of it. And then you you never know. It might give the operation a new lease of life somewhere you never, ever expected it. Because that's the golden ticket, isn't it? Is it that is. A, like a Netflix, what you want, I think, and everyone's an expert, but I think what you want is, uh, what any musician or artist wants, is one of these like teeny drama trendy netflix shows that becomes a, like gets all these memes and stuff yeah and that you're in you're in one of the scenes that becomes sort of iconic or like michael kuanoku is it kuanoku no kuanoka ah uh. kuanoka he was picked up by that 
that show Little Lies or something. Yeah. Um, some, this, some, something Little Lies. Yeah. And they put his one of his tracks as the opening tune. Mm. And now he has a career in America. Well, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like, you, you don't know. On on a level, the music's being used. It's, it's reinforcing whatever it's used for, which is great. It's yeah. doing something um, that's not being sat on a hard drive, which again is a very strange position to be in because we were a band for so long. And we did stuff. We we never actually signed a record deal or a publishing deal. So we retain all of the rights to this stuff. And we did those two albums. And we were in a bit of a rush to put them out. And they could, like, I think we could have, if we were doing them now, they would be completely different, I think. Right. Um, and we were trying stuff, but we didn't really have too much guidance. We were just like a dog without a leash. We yeah. were kids, like just trying to play and trying to find our way in and, we came we came close to do to doing what we what we kind of were setting out to do but yeah. we've ended up with this backlog of material that's ours to use we're free to use and it's great stuff so for for me if it gets used brilliant yeah but it's fun to revisit it for sure it always puts a smile on my face um i would love to hear some of that stuff yeah i, mean, I remember when we when i had uh, the velocity rock show mm. and we were actually it was just next door isn't it when we were doing um Freedom fm stuff together sometimes uh i remember nick and yourself um nick wilton who was on a previous podcast that guy man uh, dude man he's everywhere um he he played an operation tune that hadn't been released mm. and i think you brought one up that hadn't been released so yeah somewhere i think on my computer i've got them probably one of each there's there's loads there's a few more than i'd say I've there's got. probably four albums worth of stuff what yeah four albums yeah and what's the production like on all of these are they all radio ready mm, no 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 um especially the uh, again like when when we were starting out when greg was in the band we'd be just we'd just be self-producing and right and like kids full of creativity and he had a Pro Tools set up in his dad's house. Yeah. Um, so we would just record everything. Um, and it was great fun. Like there was no boundaries. So there was all of that stuff. And then when Ollie joined, we just kind of, we demo stuff ourselves, but we'd also go to the studio every now and then. Um, and I think we were our own worst enemies, really, because and I think a lot of bands get into this. You kind of you get to that point where you're in the studio and you're doing stuff, but you one of you's not feeling it, so you end up holding it back. Whereas if you've got an outside um, party, they'll yeah. they'll kind of push you. There we are. No, this has to be done. Just, you have yeah. to make this. This has to go out. So someone who go. No, we're not doing any more overdubs. No, you can't retake that vocal yeah. thing. Like this is done absolutely and we're, we're going on yeah. schedule yeah yeah and i okay. think the the two albums maybe put us in a bit more of that headspace because we did two full albums and it didn't kind of go the way we wanted it to go so we'd go to the studio and we do like five songs and it would be really great and we'd be loving it and then it it would never come out right. so there was all sorts of stuff and and now when you when you look back on these and say you, you haven't listened to those tracks for a couple of years let's say and you've managed to get some distance from it do you ever sit there and go what were we thinking that's great yeah a like, lot okay a yeah. lot definitely especially in the um the uh the early stuff actually when we were really young and and just trying to figure it out i think i listened to it when we did the reunion and relearned like loads of those parts i was thinking 
this is crazy. Like, right. I think sometimes good songwriting could be like that. You, it happens. You don't know how it happens. You don't know where that's come from. And you think, how did I do that? I yeah. think there was a lot of those moments. It, it, it was a nice surprise, yeah. for sure. I think that was some of the sick one stuff, even now, and it's not been that long mm. since I played it. But I listen, if I listen back to some of it now, I think, how did I think about that drum part? Or how do I even do that now? Yeah. Like sometimes I'm like, I'll, I'll like have a listen and just be like, I wonder if I, wonder if I could do it if I sat down tomorrow to, yeah. to try it. And I'm like, you could. What is that? <laughs> you <laughs> could, that but bit? it's it's a, it's it's the magic side of it, isn't it? I yeah. Guess. I think there's a there's there's something amazing about about capturing performances in your youth because i know that i will look back on on this one day when i actually physically can't do it and i and it's not just i think i can't do it which is probably where i am now <laughs> i could do it i think and you just like you just think wow like jesus christ like there's something about youth isn't there and there's there's like a piss and vinegar to it in a yeah i love it it's yeah. great um, so tell me about, um, I want to talk money really a little bit, you know, so this, not giving with, you any. You know, <laughs> please Alex, um, with this, with this library stuff, like if so, so home and away, pick up a, a track, mm. what's the, what's the kind of return on that? Is it just sort of like something that's a long game? It is a long right. game. Everybody who told me stuff to do with that world, right. um, and you, you should maybe talk to like Chris because he's been doing it for so long. Yeah. And he's he's such a talented guy. Um, but it, yeah, it's a lot, it's a long game. And right. I, I think it, it, like you can wait for years before you even know that your music was used. So like right. the, some of the, I got texts from somebody this week and I won't name them to, I won't embarrass them, but they go, mate, I just, just heard your your music in home and away don't don't judge me i was like i absolutely judge you but what what was it and um so, so that sometimes yeah. how you hear about it but you the, it's a very strange thing so because, you don't get an email saying this has no, been picked up by no again from... you're handing over your you're handing it over to the people the publishers who are dealing with that so, so so this could show up in a porno or something yeah yeah it could right. it could and you'd have no idea you'd have no idea you just get a a little royal a royalty you get so prs will collect royalties yeah and the sub publishers publishers will deal with the uh license to so if you're you pay us an amount of money to use that song what you use it for for how long depends how much right and then when it gets used it gets pinged yeah. and it gets picked up and then prs or whoever you're with there's many companies like that that's the company that collect the money yeah um will go to get it from uh from the broadcasters wherever um, right so yeah you you can it can be years okay yeah i was wondering if that was going to be PR, it's the same PRS. with shows as well like prs will pick up money for gigs so with tax the heat we we got on it straight away with prs and it's very complicated how how they work it out but you so if you do a festival like download yeah. you submit your song list to the to PRS yeah and it doesn't matter if you're tax the heat or if you're kiss or yeah. whoever the PRS will get divided over the bands for the for the weekend 
um, and your songs, different songs collect different amount of money. It's really strange how they work right. out. Odd. Yeah, it's odd. Okay. So the long game with this library stuff is I guess your your mate Chris, will he be writing custom bits? So he's not he's not pulling from is it Chris? Chris. Yeah, he's not pulling from a hard drive of stuff that's already been done. Well, oh, maybe I think he started he does. out like yeah, that. Yeah, I think he will do that. Like but, but does it will he sit there with a click on in his house, yeah. plug in and be like, right, I'm gonna write a he will uh, write, Steppenwolf Wolf yeah, Wild yeah, yeah, absolutely will. So, right. I think sometimes you get approached and you'd be like, we need this, yeah. and he'll go do something like that. But I think generally most people will just be like, go do it. I've done that over the last year, like, right. like especially with so the a bit pandemic. Like, so it's like flinging stick. Yeah. You fling enough out there, something's going to stick. And if you keep doing it, so yeah, I guess if you've got this huge library of stuff, mm. you're getting more hits, aren't you? Yeah, and I so think it, it is like a kind of, um, it's very similar to, the kind of rock and pop world that we know mm. where I do think you kind of become people like seek out certain people for what they do. Like you have a song that becomes the song of the, that advert, right? And like all those people, t- I, I don't know. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a different beast to writing an album, promoting an album, touring an album. It's a completely different beast. Okay. It's very interesting. I, I do want to talk to you actually a bit more about that. Mm. We'll do that. We'll do that off air. But um, so out the out, so that's the because we we covered this in Nick Wilton's podcast. You, you offered a, the operation were you were flown out to LA a number of times. Offered yeah. a, a recording contract with Sony. Mm. Um, then the music industry crash of two thousand eight happened. Your guy on the inside was made redundant or something yeah. and that was it your 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 tie to to that deal and sony and 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 that that level of the industry i guess kind of dried up or went away um f- how did you feel about that i know how nick felt about that well it was a bit earlier than that actually it was it was a very strange time it was around about 2005 oh. but at that point um mp3s had started creeping in and everybody panicked like right. I think nobody knew this is way before streaming. Right. So nobody knew what the new thing was going to be. Mm. Um, and labels had their huge acts, um, which again, is like how we got flown to America. That would never happen now. That would right. never happen. Like a label going, Oh, I kind of, yeah, I'd like to see them live. Sure. I'll, I'll bung in a few grand to, to bring them over and other labels do it because it was like 10 labels They'll come to me yeah now. we'll yeah. bring them out to la like that's nuts yeah um and we did the gig over there uh and then went to the offices and it was like one of those things it's it like i can remember it really well and it's it, like we we were there it was like thanksgiving the week after that right. and then they were like, oh, we're, we're just going to fly you straight to New York, play to the directors, we'll do the deal, you'll be living out here, that's it. And So you were, gonna, you were all going to uproot and move yeah. to LA? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. We were ready to do that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I so we were. <laughs> we were, we, yeah, we were like tw- were 21 and uh, British kids in LA. Like yeah. that's like winning the lottery, really. And you had an allowance every day, didn't you? Yeah. They were like, oh, here's the pocket money. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> it's the dream. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, and then they were like, Thanksgiving's here. It's obviously massive, massive deal to, to Americans. So everything shuts bigger than Christmas. So it's like, you guys go back. Thanksgiving will happen. Come back after that before Christmas. We'll wrap the deal up. So we go home. We're like, 
buzzing because this is life-changing seismic event is coming our way yeah yeah you're already seeing it yeah you? you're already Taste living it. there yeah i could yeah <laughs> california girls yeah yeah but anyway um so um yeah we come back thanksgiving happens and then another week passes and it's you start to think what's going on and it's like don't worry it's gonna happen we're gonna be back before christmas another because this is like november another week passes and then it's really getting close to christmas and then it becomes don't worry guys like christmas is happening everything's shutting down we're gonna do it in the new year okay do it in january so christmas passes there's no christmas day when you come down and you're like opening your presents like (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was i should be somewhere else yeah i think we were all i think at that point we we're like what okay this right. is a bit odd yeah um and then the new year kicks in and i don't think it's till about february and every week you can imagine you're just itching to hear that news that you're going back to do the thing and you're probably at some like job that you just like, yeah just i was working like, in at mvc in bath the music shop and, right that was fine, but I knew I, it was just for me, it was a stopgap because I yeah. played in a band and that was what I was going to do. I've been there. Um, and um, My stopgap lasted 10 years though. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's being a musician. Right. Stopgap is just being a musician. <laughs> Actually, in my, in, in, the, in my interview for that job, I said to the guy, I'm going to be on the road in four years with my band. Yeah. And I was. Mm-hmm. But I didn't stipulate when when that road was going to be so long that it didn't loop back around to clocking back in. Yeah, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I was right on it. But yeah, yeah, it's a weird feeling. And the thing is, with that road, is there is there's no money on that road. <laughs> You're just on a road. And there's a lot of speed humps. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of speed bumps. In weird places. It's just a road that comes back to where you were. And occasionally you think, a venue on oh, it. That's a good road. Um, uh, yeah, we got the cool in like February, March of the following year. So that's almost, I don't know, five months, something like that. The guy's been fired. The department's gone. Everybody who was involved in bringing out the band has gone. So it's like one of those things, especially at that point, I don't know so much anymore, but the music industry felt very small. And like when a a band name gets passed around, you're hot property for a while and everybody knows that name. And then it's like, what's happened there? Why is whoever passed on that band? Uh, And then it's really hard. Well, I find it's, I mean, I I came into the industry of, if you want to put it like that, later than that. But I like what you said about it feeling very small. I feel like it's quite paradoxical because it's like the, when you start moving into these worlds and these circles, they do appear smaller than they once looked. But then those people start to shine a light on the next level. And then that that seems even bigger and, in, and a little bit more impenetrable. Mm. Or you think, how the hell do we, how do we, how do we navigate that to get to that? So it feels like, these things that you once looked at, like stuff like like Krang magazine and things like that, when you, when you actually get there and it's a reality, you're like, oh, it's actually quite a small, yeah, it's, it's quite a small loop of people that kind of control that. It is, and they're not that hard to get to. No, but then that then opens up the next ring, doesn't it? Of 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 things. So I, I do find it's kind of yeah, it's a, it's a strange. And you're place. you're up against so many people, like bidding for those people's attention yeah so it becomes very hard everybody wants the new thing and we were the new thing for a little while and then so yeah obviously that happens and you're just like oh okay what do we do now Mm. and 
we decided with our manager at the time that it was time to try and rebuild it like try and do it do it again but we didn't it wasn't i think we spoke about maybe rebranding the band but we felt it wasn't right like there was still enough of a buzz to try and do it again and we we did we we built it back up and we went back over there two years later and did the same thing again and we did uh, like a, a load of showcases people were interested in the band again and there was uh, a couple of people trying to sign us but again it, we kind of then got in this kind of weird loop where nobody was we were just getting like i don't know brought along yeah every nobody was ready to go okay here it is sign it they were like yeah. cool wicked we're into it um let's hear some more right like, okay here's some more right and then great love it can we hear some more okay yeah, yeah sure sure here's, right. here's Okay, cool. Give us a contract and you can hear all that you like. And you start to get really worn out with that. And people were coming to rehearsals and and stuff. And it's like, cool. It still felt like it was getting there. And then I I think like everybody was tied at at that point. Nobody could really pull the trigger on a big deal because that's what it was. The the record deals of those that time were still massive. Not like now. It's like a record deal is like three, five grand. Like then it was like, 100 grand yeah. 300 grand what were you looking at were you looking at like a multi-album stuff or three six with 360 it, deals in that, it, that was, it was before that they right. were, i think it was it would have been probably a one album deal um but again at that time there was so many bands who we knew got who got signed to huge deals and their album never came out i think for some labels it's like a tax write-off thing it's like right. we, we got we got to spend 100 grand let's just sign and put it in the studio and never release it right. or they do that and the a and r department get laid off again which right. is like what happened to us so we, yeah we we went back we did it again and did nick tell you the story of going to london and having the breakfast with the executive I don't think so. So the the guy in America who really wanted to sign the band, yeah. even on the first time, but he his label wouldn't give him the cash to go to the to the um, the showcase. He wanted us to go go back and and do more. So he came to watch us. He got his director to come to England. We went to London to go meet him. Uh, Nick had been on the beers the night before. Um, but still came to the meeting and we went to the meeting and it was, it was fine. Like we had this meeting with this guy and Nick didn't say any more than just like our feeling just a bit hungover, you know, had a few drinks last night, but he made the meeting. He was absolutely fine. He wasn't smashing up the place. And the guy's reason for not doing the deal was the guy turned up hungover. um, What's he going to be like when I'm asking him to do stuff? It's like, that's such a cop out no wonder nick didn't tell me that story. yeah but basically, basically i hold nick accountable for ruining my my career <laughs> there's a camera there if you want to look into that and say nick again. wilton <laughs> i hate you ah uh, no nick didn't tell me that yeah um well i think he cries himself to sleep about that so every should. night so you should nick. yeah okay so from the ashes of the operation mm. you form tax the heat was there anything in between that um yeah there was right um there was my hip-hop career that no um so i did uh i did a couple of solo things i i I like i did um a couple of acoustic things right and i gigged it a bit but i i didn't enjoy it i didn't i didn't like doing it on my own 
do you, actually. You like? I think you're probably a bit like me. You like you know, you grew up listening to bands yeah. of of individuals that were great at what they did. Yeah, and they are known for being part of that brand or that outfit right there's something very cool about that i feel yeah and i and i I think like yeah you'd probably smash a solo thing um but i think you're like me you've got that mentality of like no i want to be in a thing it's completely different as well i think fair play to anybody who does acoustic uh stuff as, as their main venture but it's completely it's a completely different discipline going right. into a into a gig and you feeling like to do it right you have to hold back you have to just your audience needs to be in that moment and i think when you're playing a rock band you're kind of it's like a punch in the face isn't it volume is 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 a bit of a beast yeah um and some of the acoustic gigs i did i loved and when you've got the audience with you at that moment it's fantastic and i would do that again absolutely but a couple of them where you've got like audience members talking and you're trying to get their attention but you don't want to be the guy who's like shut up yeah because that just doesn't end well it's weird isn't it because like a rock show when you're like you know you're, you're tuning up or you're switching your guitar out or you're you're having a drink or whatever and it's between songs and you've got that hustle and bustle like that feels good it's yeah. like oh this is electricity because yeah, yeah. people are chatting and murmuring and everything but then you you swap that to an acoustic show and all of a sudden this thing becomes rudeness yeah it's just impolite yeah like, fuck you what are you doing yeah yeah i'm it's me yeah and it, it's a really me. and you could argue you could say well if you're good enough you're gonna have the audience with you bollocks and i bet everyone was chatting in those coffee shops where bob dylan was in oh, i think you're right man i yeah. think you're right but i took yeah it reminds me of a show the the worst gig i've ever seen in my life um and it really it really put me off him um is i saw ryan adams um, and obviously lots come out about Ryan Adams past this point, but mm. this is me talking just as a as a fan at, at that point. Mm. I went to see him at the Colston Hall and it was him doing an acoustic set and he had the audience. Like these are Ryan Adams fans paying probably 30 quid a ticket to go and see him. And he was absolutely shit-faced right. and he couldn't play. And... Uh, I walked out. That's the only gig I've ever walked out of. Right. It, was, it was like the most disrespectful thing. Yeah. Like you've got these people here who are, who are here to be with you and, and sort of listen. And that, that was a really straight, that was the opposite thing. Right. Here's somebody who doesn't need to try. Yeah. And he's, it's fallen off. Like it, right. it's, it's terrible. Um, Interesting. It was weird. That hungover Nick Wilton. <laughs> yeah. bring it all crashing down ryan adams can show up shit-faced yeah and uh exactly that's what i mean <laughs> play the golden it was awful right. it was so bad um yeah so that that was my experience of the acoustic thing um and uh i did another thing as well um that uh i was just getting a bit jaded right. at this point i was like i was seeing stuff happening and you know like bbc introducing was yeah. it that was when it kind of started and i was seeing all sorts of stuff being used on it and um some of it was just irritating me because i think like again i was jaded i was i was like i'd gone through all of that stuff and i was just getting a bit negative yeah i was like this is like some of it just felt so i don't know shit 
yeah. like that was doing well. Right. So I was like, right, I'm not doing anything. I'm going to do a project where I make a song a week and I just upload it to BBC Introducing, but I do not tell them who I am or anything about it. Right. And I did it. Okay. And I called the project Bipolar Bears. Right. <laughs> B-Y-E, Polar Bears. Right. Bipolar Bears. And I put it up and it got used. And then Six Music started playing it. Yeah. And um, everything I was doing was getting played. And I was like, on one hand, like I made sure that I felt it was good. Like yeah. I, I, I enjoyed the process of it. Yeah. But I was like, this is weird. Like with the operation, we go to rehearsal every week, a couple of times a week, write songs, absolutely bust our balls, go into London, doing showcases, fly to the other side of the world. And here I am in a bedroom yeah. doing a song a week. It's getting national radio plays. Yeah, I, it was kind of weird. <laughs> right, a bit weird. But it was. I, I guess it was. I, I felt that the songs were were good at the time. But that was another thing I did. And I, I think in some ways there was probably legs to have built on that. Right. Yeah. But yeah. again, it wasn't what I really wanted to do. Yeah. I wanted to kind of. That's rock. an odd feeling, isn't it? When yeah, it was. when what you're doing is what you're doing that you're not feeling. Yeah. It's doing it's well. all the success. Yeah, I felt well, weird about it. Yeah, that would feel really strange, wouldn't it? It was it, weird. It, it would be like just filling in on a, a session for something I'm not that keen on. Yeah, you feel detached from it, but in some ways that's quite um, liberating because right. it doesn't matter. Because you're not precious about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, or maybe that's part of it, is there's a, there's a devil-may-care attitude to it and maybe there's, there's a bit of ballsiness about it. Yeah, maybe. It's conceived as ballsy because you just don't care. Maybe. I think you don't care I, that much. I think you're right. I, and um, maybe that translated and it was actually good material. Um, I, I think it, well, everything's got to come from something and I think yeah. at that point I definitely was feeling a bit jaded and I was comparing where I got to, to other people and I perceived them to be doing better and I... I was just in a weird place, I think. Yeah. Definitely. It's odd, though. That is odd that that you can have this this thing, this baby, like the operation, that you have this whole adventure with that's this whole labour of love. Yeah. And it and it has all the potential in the world and it not quite happen. And then you just sort of fling a few out. And well, exactly. It's almost a bit like that. And it? It's a bit of middle finger from the... Like, you, think, you thought you'd work this thing out, this machine out. You fucking haven't. I think that was a big learning curve, though, is you, you, you realise it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. Um, you're not owed it. You're not owed anything from music. Yeah. The thing you can get from music is an individualistic thing. And it's, a, it's about what you enjoy in that process and if you take enjoyment from the process great that's yeah. that's cool and then you may get further with it but i think it's accepting that don't feel like you are owed this big huge career because you feel you should be owed it and that's yeah. definitely how i felt with the operation like it was my life and i i really wanted it to be the biggest band on earth like that's what i wanted my band to be i know like that, that's <laughs> I was it now i watched it you yeah. acted like you were the biggest that was one of the things as well is that you, your you the operation stage presence the operations stage presence was always like you guys would come on and it would be like yeah we are the biggest fucking thing in the world <laughs> here we are and, and i like i do like that and, and and i think we did that with sick ones a bit where we would be like yeah we might be opening but we're gonna make them own that headline slot absolutely right like i think when you get those 
positions like um you've got i think go out there assuming nobody cares like right. make people care yeah. because you you don't know how many chances you get to do stuff like that and you never know who's in the audience as well well you don't and some great stuff comes from that yeah the opera that happened with the op for sure yeah um so yeah i did a few things and Every, looking back at it now like all the, like years later like yeah there's some good tubes in there for sure mm. in in everything i did i feel like oh, I, I enjoyed doing that yeah and then um and then we did tax the heat so tell me about tax the heat tell me how you, so so you were like all right i'm done with this uh, you know i want to go back to this band thing mm. the operation felt like too much water had gone under the bridge possibly and maybe it was time to see what you could do with something else you yeah. didn't like the solo stuff yeah so it was like, okay, what what was your vision for it? Because when you when you guys came onto the scene originally, it was like there was like you're all in suits. Mm. There was like this is one thing the operation was really good at as well is you had the image down. You had that the it's interesting like you uniform, say that though. Like, you had a brand thing going on, and it's interesting you say that because with the operation, that was one thing that that was constantly coming up with labels. Like what what's the image? Right. What's the image? Because the image was massive. In like 2005, like the hives coming out of that and the strokes and that just like blue, the white stripes. Yeah. Everything had a very clear image. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting you say that about the operation. But um, with, uh, yeah, starting Tax the Heat, I think I, again, it was like rebuilding, like what do you want to get from music? You've done this stuff, run into some closed doors, had some success which over time you can appreciate a lot more when you're in it you want more you as you know you just you always want more yeah you, you, you like it's weird like there's like a thing that happens and you go great that's like a box ticked a full circle moment yeah. or god if 13 year old andy could have seen that he did shit himself with excitement and then you but when it comes to you you've almost moved past that point of where that would have been really excited yeah or maybe it's a jaded thing or whatever and you go, right, it's great, but what's next? Yeah. You can never stop and smell the roses. Never. The pandemic kind of taught me that when I sat on my ass, not gigging, not doing anything for a year, I actually started thinking back to the, I had time to process my life of the years before that, like the immediate years before that. And I was like, that's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, at the time you're never good. satisfied. Yeah, yeah. It's all good experience, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think I just got to the point where, I'd, and the other thing is what I'd been doing up to that point is we were doing so many gigs, the operation, that were just awful. Right. Awful shows, like driving up, at, like that cliche thing, you drive up to London on the hope that something's happening and you've been told about this gig and you turn up and you play to the other band. Yeah. And then you've got to leave it and you get home at like four in the morning, you've, you've hired a van and yeah. uh, you go to work you got to get up at seven yeah. and we were doing stuff like that all the time. Yeah. Um, and I just got to the point where I thought, do you know what? If I do three gigs a year yeah. that are well, well attended and enjoyable, that's cool for me. Right. I just want to do good gigs. I yeah. don't want to stop gigging. I know I want a gig. I know I want to write. Just want to do good gigs. That's yeah. it. And, uh, Jack, who's the drummer in tax, he, he's, we knew each other when we were kids and then didn't see each other for like 
I don't know, 15 years or something. Uh-huh. And then I heard he was living in Froome and working with Thin Lizzy, who just up, like started doing some reunion things with uh, Ricky Warwick fronting the band. Yeah. So I just met him for a beer and we got chatting and we did a few rehearsals and um, did a few different things. We we jammed up all sorts of stuff. No, right. Not like it didn't start. The band didn't start with that. It, the band started probably a year after Jack and I started. Like we found something in the demos. We were like, this sounds like it could be a band. Let's, right. let's build something around these songs. And uh, we just did that. And we pressed up a couple of CDs and gave a logo to it. And uh, just sort of started playing it to some people that we knew. Yeah. And uh, we we managed to track down. We we got Anton who plays bass and JP plays the other guitar in the band. And they, through like people we knew, they, they got put in touch with us and it felt felt good. And then we got management, a management offer before we'd even been seen. Right. Before we'd even played live and a booking agent before we'd done anything. Yeah, and I was like, "What the hell? This is this is not my experience of of this." Right for me, it's always been a slog, and this has suddenly just happened. Okay, because my perception of that band was that you'd taken everything you'd learned and everyone that you that you met and learned uh, and and got to know in the industry, and you went right. This is a new thing, and everyone got excited about it and set you up straight away with all the good but this was something that you didn't expect i just assumed this was you taking everything over from the operation and sort of reinstalling it in this new project no it no. i mean to an extent it was like you say taking everything everybody and just trying to give it give it a go um but no it was it definitely felt like a clean break from anything that was operation based Right. Um and uh like Nick at that point was playing in another band, but I think potentially he would have been involved with it. He didn't know Jack at that point either. We've like everybody's all, obviously all become friends yeah. since that. But he was playing in another band. Um so it was it was just like me and my old friend and we need to try and find some more people who we never met right. to make a new like a new entity and we all get on great like you could not be we're lucky that we have that dynamic because yeah. that to because we've been a band for like eight years yeah it's quite a long time it's now a long time. um and it to find that where because it, it's a relationship and mm-hmm. we we get on really well um what were your requirements for these other players because i know once you get to the to once you get to to your level then you will attract good talent and, and, and a and a a sort of a pedigree i guess yeah but i know how difficult it is it's very to hard to find music you can, anyone can find a guitarist anywhere they're everywhere you get them for the next rehearsal that's the issue isn't it you can get any guitarist for one jam that's right get them to jam too that's and, that's when you start to separate the, yeah the and to the be boys. like to get the vision and to be dedicated mm. to it um yeah it's, it's a lot hard. isn't there really hard i know people who are like incredibly good guitarists really incredible musicians and just fail at everything else in yeah. life and it's like yeah yeah like if you just show up yeah but it, that don't you think it, on a big level it's not about it's not about that like if you work harder 
the the really talented guy who oh, doesn't yeah. put a shift in yeah. you're going to do better yeah, yeah, yeah. that's just the the way it works hard, really. what's it there's a there's a saying isn't there hard work prevails where talent um oh, I don't even know it but yeah but essentially <laughs> what you're saying is there are people who like have that natural gift that natural talent and they just get so used to being great at it that they don't put the work in yeah. and then you get those people that necessarily aren't necessarily like incredible but they love it and they work at it and they work at it and they work at it and they're the ones that people go, well, you know what? Actually, and there's so much more guy. to it now as well. Like it's not just about being a band. Yeah. Somebody once said to me, um, being in a band is, is like 90% shit and 10% <laughs> incredible. Um, and I think to an extent it kind of is because that 10% when it's amazing is enough to warrant the 90% shit yeah yeah um like b- promoting a band using social media that wasn't a thing when the operation was bad yeah. so it's a very weird thing to kind of um like get get your head around it in a, in a weird way so you've got to be there's there's so much to it so mm. like you say you, yeah one thing you can play the guitar you can do whatever but are you in for this because yeah. it's, it's sometimes it's not easy yeah this can be hard moments and there's a lot of people out there that just want glory instantly yeah and they just want gratification instantly or they mm. think that that it's just going to come to them like that mm. and and it, and that's wrong and it's that's not the case and mm. i i think if you showed a lot of musicians i mean we all know these people that are like yeah 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 oh i'm gonna do this one day and that and it's like come on man you're 40 you're not though no. you're not are you <laughs> you're, not. you're just not you're just not but it's like i just almost wonder if someone had taken those people aside 20 years ago and went this is how you do it this is how you do it this is what you got to do do you want to do it they go oh, probably not and it's like great i've just saved you 20 years of bullshitting everyone you meet 20 years of delusion and and lying to yourself like go and do something else yeah that you might be good at well i think that is the test really like uh, uh, especially when you're in uh, bands when you're kids and you've got especially when i grew up there was so many bands in my town and it was brilliant yeah and everybody thought they were going to be a rock star um but i reckon out of all of those musicians and that's a lot of people mm. i don't i don't know of any others who still play in bands other than maybe a handful Mm. including me uh because i think you do like those sort of knocks like we spoke about i think that is what tests you really like how much do you love playing music or writing music um is it enough to get those kind of blows and still carry on if it is crack on yeah you know you've got to be thick-skinned for it yeah and a lot a lot of my thing was just like a like I like being part of a thing. Yeah, it's great. In this little band of, I would say band of brothers, although the, the second lineup of Sick Ones had Christy in it, but this band, this little family thing. Mm. But also it's like that fear of missing out. Like once there's a certain point, isn't there? Once you cross a, you cross a, a line into, a, into an area where it's like, okay, something's kind of happening now. And it's like, there, were, there are going to be days you can't kind of be bothered and charlie put loads of work in with sick ones and i was really lucky that all i had to do really was show up and post about stuff on social media so a lot of credit goes to him but there's always that's you know you get those days where you're like god do i especially towards the end near the pandemic it's like can i get a bit, a bit burnt out like do i really want to 
do this for another five years or something but then you go yeah but i'm gonna miss out aren't i i'm gonna miss out on this, this that's that, it that. isn't it or if i go now and then it happens next week i think that's something that happens when you get older because when you're when you're young you don't necessarily think like that because you're like there's so many opportunities you feel like it they are always there yeah but when you get older you, you definitely think um that yeah it, i don't know you, like with the, the reasons we've spoke about it's so hard to find that right connection with people yeah. that you you could talk years away from now so if you walk out of something if you stop something you're like it's okay i'm just gonna shut the door on that for a few years well the door will probably be closed in a couple of years because you're yeah. so far out of that you have to stay in it yeah i think yeah it, it, yeah it's mad and we've all heard of those people as well that that were in bands in their first year or something and they played on the first album or the first demo yeah and they lost the faith yeah or they went mm. Oh, I think I'm gonna go and get married and have a kid. And then it's like now that band is the biggest band in the world ever, and they're like they get an interview in their like twentieth anniversary documentary or something. And I always used to sit there and think, I do not want to be that guy no. who has to sit there at home going, Oh, oh I could be playing You were that band. Yeah. I played bass in that band. <laughs> we was great. They were good. Much we better right. than they are now. Yeah. Without me. And, and and it's like, you know, I, I, I did not want to be sat at home in my pants watching my mates in my former band play download or something. Yeah. Nobody wants that. No one wants that. No. So that's, no that's, matter how much you're like, God, I just want what's best for those guys. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to see I wish that. them all the best. It's like, as long <laughs> good as... Good luck, it, as long as but not too much. <laughs> good luck just don't do any of my dreams yeah yeah it's, it's funny yeah um okay so yeah tax the heat you find management you find this you find that you you signed to was it nuclear blast mm. europe that is an odd choice isn't it for a band that sounds like you but yeah, also really weird but also not an odd choice when you think about a label that wants to diversify and have a a roster which has maybe more commercial mm. um, potential as well because Slayer's on that yeah. label. Cradle of Filth. <laughs> we were label mates to Cradle of Filth. <laughs> um, yeah, very weird. But at the same time, the the I remember Nuclear Blast when I was working in the CD shop and we right. would get the CDs sent over. The and worst it was always, artwork ever. It was just like mega heavy stuff. And... Um, when I heard that they... Because basically, the guys who signed us were all ex-Roadrunner. So they were in charge of, like, when Roadrunner was signing people like, um, I don't know, like Slipknot and had... The, that time, Roadrunner was the biggest, like, oh, rock they label. They Machine Head. Yeah. I think they had Slayer for a bit. Um, the Misfits, second uh, generation. They had loads. Slipknot. Um, they had Roadrunner United for a while, which was just all those those the biggest names in metal and rock coming together. And yeah, so much trivium. stuff. And all those guys had jumped ship to be right. part of Nuclear Blast in in, in the UK, and right. also Monty Connor, who um, is up in quite high up in the label. He's in America, right. so and he's like he signed Slipknot. He's like a bit of a legend in in that world. But you soon get talking to these people, and you realise that they are fans of music as a broad. Yeah. broad concept it's not that they are absolute devout metalheads and that is it i'm yeah. sure there's people at the label who are yeah but in my experience the people we were working with 
were just really good people who loved music. And I, but I, I think, um, it was a surprise when we found out that they were interested and our reservations about how it would be perceived to a lot of their audience, because you can imagine right. that tax the heat does a new music video. The label were obviously going to put it up on their YouTube yeah. and they have a direct feed of fans who mm -hmm. constantly support the label. Well, it's fairly obvious that a band like us is going to get ripped to shreds by some of those fans. Yeah. yeah. And you obviously, especially when it's your first few videos, you want to be hitting it with like this big positive thing. So there was some really funny comments about us um, with, uh, with some of their fans, I think. But again, like on the other side of that, a lot of their audience like them are fans of music it's like keyboard warriors yeah. you only hear the the negatives you're only going to hear that aren't yeah. you? um and the first album did really well and we were we were sort of really happy with that well a good label is going to know their audience aren't they they're yeah. going to know that they can push it a little here or they'll they'll get a feel of like okay but i think that the demographic also would enjoy this yeah um just to bring people into the loop, Tax the Heat is like a bluesy, rootsy, hard rock band, a bit more in a sort of a classic rock vein, although I know with your second album you pushed you pushed into some new territories. Um, so that is that is what we're talking about here. We're talking about something which isn't thrash metal yeah. and gothic um, and doom and Cradle of Filth. Yeah. It's not The that. extreme end of the spectrum, basically. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. How did you, like, when when you had this offer come from Nuclear Blast, were you like, they, you can't be serious, what, what are we doing here? Or, we, or did you see the plan, were you like, okay, we'll stick out so much for them and we'll have so much commercial viability over something like Cradle of Filth, who are mega successful but very niche still. Mm. Did you think, oh, this is, this is a really good move for us because we will be so different? Um i don't think so i don't right. think we thought like that really um maybe we did to an extent if we were starting to convince ourselves of what the benefits could be yeah but i think we were just like okay we're gonna get some money to make an album and make the album we want and these guys have got experience at, at getting stuff out there um so we were just we were happy with that because again like even just in that summary of tax the heat that you've said there as soon as you start throwing around a phrase like classic rock yeah it becomes a very hard sell yeah because to you and i we understand i understand totally what you mean yeah and there's areas of of classic rock that we absolutely take influence from yeah but then that is such a broad phrase mm. for it because it could be it could be like the early who or led zeppelin but it could be like it could be van halen or yeah. something really because new stuff is becoming classic already all the time now yeah. yeah would you say nirvana is classic I was, rock i was well, just about to say nirvana is gonna is gonna be in the classic rock yeah vein but it's, alice in chains will soon become classic rock yeah to, and i know what you mean but you still in the press in the media you wouldn't describe to, them to as the that. layman yeah um so that's a really hard term to 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 get away from because the, the first album was definitely that like we'd come out of this kind of bluesy thing we were listening to loads of 60s stuff and that was why we were sort of wearing the suits and and kind of in that world the second album 
it was a bit more like finding our own feet, trying to be more original and loosening up some of that stuff, becoming ourselves. And I think moving forward, it's more like that as well. I think we have, we're becoming, we're away from that. It not, not that's the wrong way of saying it. We're not away from who we were. That is intrinsically part of who we are, Yeah. but we, we're still on a journey where there is no real rule to who we are. Yeah. Like this is about creating something that's that we feel is art, artistically right at that time, yeah. um, and not just going in and doing an album. Yeah, because we've we've spoke about that over the last year. We could easily go and do another first album, same thing, get in a room, do a rock album. That's of no interest to us. Like I think we're all unanimous in that. It's about being pushed and coming up with something that we feel we haven't heard or we want to hear. Um, and that's our journey. That's that's who who we are as a band, really. Um, and I've always liked that in bands like Rush. We mentioned them earlier. Like yeah. so many of their albums are not alike. Like yeah. you can you can jump on in it's so many eras of Rush and they sound completely different. Yeah. Um, and the albums have light and shade and dynamics, and that's what I like. Whereas I think the majority, not not majority of music fan, I don't mean that, but the majority. Um, of media outlets really find it easier to push you into one place if yeah. you are a classic rock band that sings about monster trucks and beer girls <laughs> chicks like that's an easy sell because yeah. there's it doesn't deviate whereas we do like yeah. we're, we're i'd like to think we're deeper than that i feel like you guys are although i haven't heard album three although i'm from conversations with you in Tesco car parks over the pandemic. Um, I understand that you've probably... That got, sounds so dodgy. It's weird, isn't it? Um, I understand you've probably got album four and five if you wanted it. Yeah, it depends how we want to do it, really. But if you're looking at your trajectory in terms of your musical evolution, album one, something like Fed to the Lions, I think is quite typical for that album. It that, is. That, that big that big blues rock um Oh, I don't want to say classic rock now you've picked up on no, it. No, do it. But that I know classic rock, Leonard Skinnerd, ACDC, um, that blues-based, Marshall Amp, um, Les Paul-driven um, thing uh, is, is all there in album one. In album two, there's like a bit of like sort of like Queen vocal kind of things coming through and, and you're being a little bit more ambitious with your percussion and things like that. Mm. And so I feel like you, you've got a very classic trajectory where, with some bands where you're like, okay, this is the, 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 this is the foundation album, which is the foundation of the sound. And then you build on it again in album two. And then album three, what, what is album three? Good question. What is it? What am I? What are we going to get? I don't know at this stage. Right. We're in a we're in a a place where we're um, we've got all these songs that are sort of ready to be pulled apart um, from working remotely, really, over the pandemic. And then, well, we were in a, in a rehearsal room before the pandemic, coming up with stuff. Then remote writing, and then back in a rehearsal room. And there's so much different stuff in there. We we could do. I think like some weeks we were like, let's do some Soundgarden sounding stuff. We'd go make some Soundgarden songs and then another week it would be com something completely different just to keep ourselves sane and having fun. And I think the third album, I, I, I don't know. I'm, uh, but that to me is, is exciting. We've started writing with the producer and... Um, Can you name? 
what the produ- who yeah. the producer is. We're well, we're hoping at this stage we're working with Evanson who did the first two. Um, and we're hoping to continue that into next year right. and and hopefully do it all that way. Because he's he's in this, I mean, he's a strange character, at like just a creative beast. Yeah. And he's got his own, um, he's he's just set up a, a, his, a new studio and he's getting really into Dolby Atmos mixing, which is kind of bonkers sounding right. stuff. But he's got a fantastic live room. So we set up there a few months ago left our stuff set up started just jamming around and writing and it was the most fun that i think we'd had collectively for a long time because we are again going back to what i was saying about like when you're your own worst enemy i think we we definitely fall into that like we we talk a lot about what we want to do um and try and refine it and try to get our heads into it but it's only because we care and we want it to be as good as it possibly could be um and nobody's in a position where they're going guys you need to make another fed to the lions and you need to do 10 of them because if you do that this will happen we're not in that position right we're in a position where we can make a third album and we want to have fun doing it what's going to happen like the uh, the rest is unknown so i think for us to start this process now is good we spent a long time writing long time talking even when we were doing the second album we were talking about what this was going to be so for us it feels like years i think in the making and and do you think that's going to be a a pivotal part of this album's story because a lot of albums have to have a great story don't they this is part of the industry we were talking about this the other day you know you could be one of the best bands in your genre but unless you have a myth or a legend or a story people generally don't want to pick it up do they in terms of the press and the media yeah so it's very interesting that this this third album for you and and there's that whole like well we've had this whole pandemic and we've written three albums worth and we've just taken our time i think that's a good story yeah i I think there'll be a lot of people in that position though and then then it becomes something else like what sets your story apart from anyone else? And I don't you really have to, care. Like, I wrote this when I had COVID. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm four hours away from a ventilator yeah. and I penned this. And this and is then called I got better. Ventilator Rock. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't know. I think the point that I'm at and we're at as a band, I think it's it's just, it's a selfish venture. It's like, what do we want to do? Yeah. And I think it's walking away at the end of the day of being together making music thinking that was just so much fun right and i think that's where we're at with it i have no expectations or i mean you obviously always want things to go well and um like that that's great but i think for me it's just about um yeah just enjoying it yeah Awesome. And let's just, just, I want to talk about that amp that you've got yeah. as well. But let's just brush over some Tax the Heat career highlights. Yeah. Download Festival, second stage. Yep. Opening the second stage. Yeah. Supporting Aerosmith at the end of the day. Yeah. That was something different, actually. We, oh. play, we played the download that they played. Yeah. But we also did, they did uh, a festival called Clapham Calling right. in London. And we played that with them. Okay. Yeah. And you didn't meet, did you meet Tyler? Oh, no. Oh, okay. I met uh, Brad Whitford and Tom Hamilton. And I was on a mission to meet Steve Tyler. Yeah. Because for me, he's an absolute hero. 
Right. But I feel like it's maybe one of those things that was not meant to be. Yeah. Because I was on such a mission yeah. to meet Steven Tyler, my hero since I was 10, yeah. that I walked past him without even knowing. And he walked right past me and Jack goes, what are you doing? You just walked past him. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was really weird. I think, right. I, I don't know. I, Kate Hudson was there with Matt Bellamy. Right. And I think I was like, saw them <laughs> as it happened. I think it was like one of those moments. Yeah. That's hilarious. But that was definitely... Um, the child in me was just like uh but do you think do you think you should meet steven tyler uh i don't know i think he's an all right guy i think he would be all right i think he would be all right and i um i think there would have been a time like with uh with hero worship and these people that got you into stuff where you'd be like i'd love to i'd love to meet them yeah. I'd love to meet steven tyler i'd love to meet angus young yeah whereas i kind of don't feel like that anymore I feel like I'd, it does. If I met them, I would. I would obviously, I would obviously chat to them about it and yeah. other heroes of mine. But for me, it, 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 I don't really. I don't think like that anymore. Right. I definitely did when I was younger, but I, I've got no real interest in being that guy who's like, excuse me, uh, I, can I chat about what you mean to me? Nah. I'd rather it's weird I'd, for them. Yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit weird. I'm sure it's lovely to hear that. Like for the we've one had millionth time. Uh, we've had that with people who, who come up and tell us how much the music means, and that's great. I love that. That's yeah. so nice. But uh, and uh, yeah, please keep coming to me, everybody. It's fine. <laughs> tell me how great I am. It's great. Um, but um, for me, I, I don't really have interest in that. I don't have like a. Same with any kind of famous people. There's there's people I like to ask things, but I don't yeah. think I would necessarily want to tell somebody that. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. I'm, I'm with you know. there. I'm I don't want to be like, oh hi, um, I love what you do, and I'm really sorry, you know, to interrupt you, and just want to say this or that. I'm now more interested in sitting down and just actually just just having a chat, just having an actual yeah, an actual meaningful conversation if it's not going to be if it's not going to be a meaningful interaction there are very few people that i think i would go oh, hello yeah hello probably yeah. dave, dave Grohl. hello dave there's um, some funny stories about people who've, who've met people like that like yeah. van morrison's supposed to be a bit of an oddball yeah um my dad worked with somebody who was like a massive van morrison fan and he was like huge van morrison fan and he was at a cash point in Bath and he was stood behind him. I was like, oh my God, Van Morrison. And like tapped him on the shoulder. Oh, and no. he was like, Van, like you are everything. Like <laughs> your music is literally my life. I love it. And he just said, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and walked away. <laughs> that was it. But the guy apparently was so happy that Van Morrison told him to fuck off. Yeah, it's like those people that come out of the gig and go, oh, he spat on me. Yeah, don't it's get that. weird, isn't it? Don't get that. It is weird. Um, so we're going to wrap up soon, but I, I want you to tell me about this amp because mm. it's a very interesting amp. Yeah. Um, what, how did you come, what is it? How did you come across it? Um, I'm my, following the story. My lockdown loot. Right. Um, so yeah, I, it was a very random find. Um, I was just... Uh, I was on Gumtree and I can't even remember what I was looking for, but I know it wasn't anything music. Wasn't that. It wasn't that. Yeah. And it wasn't anything music instrument based. I, I can't remember what it was. Right. And it was just like 
there on the front page items in your area gibson titan amplifier i never heard of it right never seen it and it was like 200 quid um and i was yeah obviously straight away interested big fan of anything kind of gibson brand and uh did you google it yeah did a little google couldn't find much other than very rare um and it was all pretty quick because i was like if this is something really exciting i'm gonna have to move fast on this get it so i spoke to an amp tech because i knew it didn't work that was part of the thing it said this does not like this amp doesn't work at all so i spoke to an amp tech and i was like are you in to do some work on this for me uh if you are i'm gonna buy it now and he was like i've wanted to work on one of these for years they're they're apparently incredible um and uh, yeah i went and got it off the guy um and he didn't really know too much about it he like youngish chap and he he was telling me he had a job and the guy would pay him in valve amps because he couldn't pay him in wages i don't know why but he didn't know much history about the amp he just ended up with this amp he played a little bit of guitar but he was now in a position where his missus was like pissed because he's got these huge valve amps in his house and he doesn't really play guitar so he was selling them and all um, the gear no idea yeah yeah so i got it i took it back took it to the tech and then started doing a bit of digging and um it's super rare right it's either 1963 or 1964 if it's 1963 there's 29 of them in that were made right. however many are, are still in existence god knows because that's a long time right um, if it's 64, it's one of 140. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure looking at the dates that I found and the odd bit of digging, it's 1963. I think okay. it's one of the, the first lot. But when I kind of went further into it, I saw that the Rolling Stones got sent them um, when they were doing Beggar's Banquet. So they and there's a photo of Keith in the studio on that album using one, like right. the exact same model as mine. So what I'm trying to do is find out if it was keith's that's my mission <laughs> he's a hard guy to reach right this is i had this conversation this morning i was i was uh, i was chatting to my dad he was like who have, who have you got on the podcast tonight and i said oh i've got alex Villes and taxi heat and uh blah blah, blah and uh, we're gonna talk about this rare amp um he thinks that maybe keith richards um owned it and he's just trying to figure it out and he went oh can't he like Ask him. <laughs> the amount of people who say that. Can you just drop him like a DM on yeah. Instagram? I said... Uh, Keith Richards. There's probably people trying to get hold of him all the time that found a guitar that he, he once used in a charity shop and just because there's a picture of him with a Les Paul, oh, mate. they think it says... Uh, and I, I was like, he can't do that. And he went, why? Because he's dead. And I said, no, because he's Keith Richards from the Rolling yeah, Stones. I, I'm just going <laughs> to tell... I'd just tell everybody it is his amp, to be honest. Because the chances are it is like until the one day you see a documentary yeah. and, he, and he goes here's my amp yeah. and you go oh ah, shit That's because not his i amp. mean i just think 29 how many would have made it to england probably a handful right and they probably would have sent them to the biggest bands of the time yeah. like the rolling stones uh-huh. who definitely did use them they had a storeroom that apparently got broken into and loads of stuff was nicked right could be that you better not ask Keith because he might want it back. He might want it back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but um, yeah, it's but the, the plus to it is it sounds amazing. It really right. does sound incredible. I've, I've heard some clips of yeah. you on Instagram. The clean tone on that. Oh, it's incredible. And I saw uh, Kurt. I think he's called Kurt Ballou. 
Is that his name from Converge? Is it Converge? I can't. I remember. know the band Converge. I don't know the, can't the members' the name names. Of the guy. But he's a producer. Right. And oh, it'll be the singer. I reckon. He yeah. uh, he uses them on everything. It's like a pet. Apparently, he uses it for any kind of pedal um, tones as a as like a pedal platform amp. Right. Um, and it does work great like that. It sounds amazing. Weird world, isn't it? Mm. That you've got this super rare amp, super rare, and the singer of Converge who grunts and screams and growls until his voice box is I'm bleeding. I'm pretty sure it's Converge. I can't remember. He's using Nick them also on everything he produces. It's so weird. Yeah, it is weird. But you are the only guy in the world that's got one of those amps that's plugging in a Gibson Les Paul that belonged to um, what's his name from the Clash. Mick Jones. Mick Jones. Yeah, don't know if it belonged to him. Oh, I've got pictures of him right. playing. I that. reckon this is what you do, Alex. You get a piece of gear and you go, I reckon this one's belonged to Yeah, so I'm so. going to say it did. Like I'd say, <laughs> It's like everything. You're only a few steps. But he was actually at one of the gigs I did, Mick Jones. Right. He was at, when we did the Mott the Hoople tour, he was there. Right. And I was hoping to see him in the green room to ask him. But I have got pictures with. So, for all intents and purposes, I own Mick Jones Les Paul. <laughs> I've got Keith Richards Zamp. And I'm sat with Andy from Sick Ones. Life is sweet. It's the Triforce, mate. The it tri is. Factor. Yeah. Nice one. Well, thanks for coming on. Pleasure, mate. And good luck with the third album. I'm really looking forward to it. And another thing, just just real quick, Puppet Man. Mm. That song that you've scrapped is it Puppet Man? Yeah. We haven't played that are for we, a while. Are we ever getting it back? Uh, I don't reckon. <laughs> we did do it uh, for um, Rockwell Studio uh, thing. Yeah, we did that. Yeah. Um, uh we did planet rockstock years ago right. and john who runs planet rock radio loves that song so we did it then i love that song it's I a cool song to you about it before and you're like no don't really it like is that a, song. it's a cool song it okay. just kind of doesn't fit like that's right. again that's like the old world for us really. right um almost feels like a different band in a way yeah i get you yeah i do it's a good tune though that. all right nice one Cheers. pleasure Big, big thank you to our guest this week, Alex Veal. If you want to listen to Tax the Heat, we are going to leave links in the show notes descriptions. We'll also leave any links to anything relevant in this conversation that we feel that you guys would like to uh, check out. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. If you've got a friend that likes Tax the Heat or a friend that likes rock music in general, then this is a really good one for you to pass on. That's a really, really good way of supporting this podcast without spending any money. If you want to follow this podcast on social media, you can on Twitter at, at the Giant Pod, on Instagram at, at the Giant Pod. If you want to follow my personal adventures, then you can do so with Andy underscore TGP. This podcast was produced by. What are we going to do for you this week? This podcast was produced by our very own Amp Tech, Harry Williams. We will see you next week for another episode of the Giant Pod. Thank you very much. <laughs>